Okay, we're in Exodus chapter 18, uh, verses 1 through 12 this morning. By way of introduction, my name is Stephen. I'm one of the elders here at the branch, serve as the uh, lead pastor. I just want to say this real quick, if I can, because there's a lot of new faces here, so this is not for the new faces, this is for the steady faces. I really enjoy what I get to do here. So uh, I love being your pastor. I love getting to be a part of this church. Uh, I don't say that to be cheesy. I say that because I genuinely mean it. And so um, I'm grateful that we're on this journey together. If you're new here, I'm sure we'll love you too. We just don't know you yet, okay? And you don't know us yet either. But we're in Exodus chapter 18, so if you are new here, just to give you perspective on what we're doing. <clears throat> we didn't pick Exodus 18 out of the hat. This morning we've been on a slow walk, a slow journey through the book of Exodus, um, kind of telling the story of what God's doing with God's people uh, to get them into God's place, okay? So uh, we're in week 28 or 29 of Exodus, and uh, we're just taking it verse by verse, because here's what we believe at the branch. If you get nothing else, and this is your first time here, get this. We care deeply about God's Word here, deeply, 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 okay? And so we take it slow. We take our time. We're not rushing through. We don't uh, pick topics because they make us feel good. Uh, we study God's Word for what's there, and we take out of it what God had intended. So, um, quick sidebar as part of this introduction. I'm going to press start on my clock, too. I'll give you those three minutes back here. Don't worry about it. Um, there are a couple new members to uh, announce before the congregation. Um, <clears throat> keep it in perspective. Membership is not like an elite status. It's a covenant partnership in the gospel of what God's doing here. So uh, Michael and Laura Pricer are sitting right over here. And Grace... I saw you earlier, Grace Kitchens, right there. Um, we're thankful that you guys have covenanted to partnership in the gospel with us, and we look forward to all that God has in store. About once a month or so, we do a Next Steps class. We just did it last weekend. We'll do another one sometime in December, probably, or maybe later in the month. Um, and um, it's just a way for you to get to know who we are as a church, if you're curious, okay? So let's, let's jump in Exodus chapter 18. Uh, we'll pick up in verse 1. It seems like a good place to start, but I think it's helpful to be reminded that the story of Exodus is the story of us. The Exodus story is the story of the Christian life, and so if you're not familiar with what's happening in the book of Exodus, God's people have been uh, enslaved. They've been held captive for some 400 years, and they've just been released by Pharaoh. There's all the plagues. Maybe you heard about the, the plagues if you did VBS as a kid or something like that. Um, and finally, Pharaoh says, get out. And they go into the wilderness for another 40 years. And so that's where we are. God's people are right at the base of Mount Sinai in chapter 18, uh, which is really kind of one of the peaks of uh, Exodus. We'll get there in a couple weeks where God gives his law um, in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, if you've ever heard of that. Uh, we'll get there in a couple of weeks. And so we're going to take 18 in two parts, okay? So this week we're going to do 1 through 12, and next week we'll finish it. And the reason we want to do that is because there's really, it's one story, right? It's one narrative. Um, but what's happening next week is kind of separate from what's happening this week. And so we felt like it was important for us to press in uh, to what God has for us. And so there's a shift that's happening in chapter 18, if you've been following along. And uh, Israel is, is just... Right, again, like I said, right at the base of Mount Sinai and where God's going to give his law, his law. So we have this pause, right? This seems a little disjointed from where we've been, okay? So 
<clears throat> waters come from the rock. Uh, we saw Israel battle for the first time, defeating Amalek. This is where Moses raises hands and the Israelites start winning. He gets tired and his hands start to fall and they begin to lose. And so Aaron and Hur take his arms and they prop him up on a stone and Israel wins. Okay, praise God for that. Um, but from last week, the one thing I want us to remember is that Moses was tired. Okay, Moses was tired. And so I, I don't know if you've been there, uh, if you've been weary, uh, but I think there's a lot there's a lot of hope in this passage for us. And so I want us to press in to that. And so this pause, though, this shift that's happening is for a couple of reasons. And I, I just want to, there's, there's a few more that will play out next week. But the, the first one is that the Amalekites came to attack Israel, and they were coming for war. Right? And we see a new, a new character. Jethro comes, and what does he do? He doesn't come for war. He comes for greeting. Okay, so there's a, there's a shift that's happening. We go from, from war to love, to familial love specifically, okay, family love. The second, and this is going to take us back a few weeks and point us forward for a week, is that in both chapter 17, verse 12, and chapter 18, verse 18, Moses is tired, okay? And we're going to see that repeated. And then he's provided help in both cases, right? One is somebody else is holding up his arms, and then the next is his family comes around him. Okay, so if you're in family group throughout the course of the last week, that was one of the texts that I got. It was like, why do they keep re- rephrasing that Jethro is Moses' what? Father-in-law. How many times did you read that this week? A lot of times, right? And here's just a flyover quick answer, okay, because we're going to tease this out some more. Family matters. Family matters a lot. Okay, and some of you are in here and you have great families, immediate families. Some of you are in here and your family is terrible. Okay, and some of you have great father-in-laws and some of you have terrible father-in-laws. And if you're not married, flip a coin. Okay, all right. So, but what's important here is that family matters. And just as Moses can't find the strength to raise his hand, here comes his wife, here comes his sons, here comes his father-in-law. And what do they come to bring? rests, refreshment, encouragement. That's family done right. So what do we say here at the branch all the time? We do church as family because this is why. This is the driving value in that. So let's read it, okay? This is 18 verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian. See who we, see the title that we get before we get Moses' father-in-law, okay? So he is that. He is the priest of Midian. What do you remember of Midian? You got to go way back Moses kills a guy and flees to where? Midian, okay? So Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, okay, we're going to have some help here today, okay? Because I was reading this out loud. I do that sometimes. It's super weird if there's anyone else around, but I usually do it in a car by myself, so it's just weird for me. But I'm going to have you help there, because the more you say it, the more it just is like, why are we keep saying this, okay? So you're going to help. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Verse 4, in the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. 
Verse 6, And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and he kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. So we're going to stop there. We're going to pick up in verse 8 here in just a minute. So the main idea, okay, the main idea really of the entire book of Exodus is this, that the Lord is greater than all other gods. Amen. Okay, thank you. Uh, The Lord is greater than all other gods, point blank, okay? He was greater than all the gods of Egypt. He was greater than the gods of the Amalekites. He's greater than the gods of Midian, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, okay? There we go. We're good. We're good there, okay? So God, the Lord, Yahweh, this is the name that he's given to Moses, right, is greater than all other gods. And so what we see here is we see a family reunited, okay? If you go back to Exodus chapter 4, this is really the only time we saw Zipporah, which is Moses' wife, not his father-in-law, okay? Zipporah is his wife. They have two sons, Gershom and Eliezer, okay? Not Eliezer. That guy's coming, okay? This is Eliezer, okay? So just keep that in mind. You might have heard of Eliezer. This is not him, okay? If you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google it. You'll see the difference, okay? Uh, or use a Bible app, probably better than Google, all right? So here's, here's the, the main thing that I want us to take away the first seven verses. Good news travels really fast, Okay, so we're just coming on the backside of defeat of the Amalekites, and guess who hears it? Jethro does. And what does Jethro do? He comes running. Okay, so I want to just paint the picture. I'm going to step away from the text just for a minute and kind of paint the context of what's happening. Okay, I'm a dad. I've got two daughters and a son. Okay, but I have two daughters who I will one day, uh, God willing, give to a godly man to be their husband. Okay, but if they're in trouble, I'm going to come to the rescue and kill somebody. Okay, we've established this already, right? And this is this is a long time ago. But I will cut you. Okay. So here's what's happening. Jethro hears word that the Israelites are in trouble. Okay, they've just gotten out of Egypt. They're on the run. Okay, and I don't. We don't know exactly when Zipporah leaves. Uh, Moses, but we know that she leaves Moses, okay? And she goes back home for safety, okay? And good dads do what? They protect their kids, okay? That's what good dads do. Now, not all good dads are good dads, okay? Jethro's a good dad. He takes his kid in, his daughter in, and he protects her and his grandkids, okay? This is a good man. Is he a Christian? Not yet. That's coming. But good news travels fast. So does bad news, right? Bad news travels just as fast, but good news carries more weight. So Jethro hears the good news. He gathers up his people. He gathers up Zipporah and his grandkids, and they go to Moses because now they're safe. God has won. I need to hear more. This is what Jethro is saying. I need to hear more of what is the, who is this God that can rescue a people out of the most dominant hand on planet earth, which is Pharaoh, Take them into the wilderness. Do y'all know they walk through water? Let's don't forget that. Like there was a sea that was not a sea and then was a sea again. Okay? That's what happens in the Red Sea. And God preserves his people. Jethro's hearing all of this. And he gets, he gets excited. Mind you, he is a priest. 
Okay? He, is, he is concerned about divine things. He just hasn't heard of Yahweh yet. That's coming okay? as we share the good news of what God is doing. So Jethro enters the story at the exact right time, just like Aaron did, by the way, in chapter 4. Okay? Aaron comes on the scene just as Moses was really struggling with what? Do you all remember? At the beginning, God calls Moses to go, and he says, well, I, I can't do it. He was struggling with doubt. He was struggling with insecurity. He was struggling with fear. Anybody in a room? Okay? And what does God do? He provides a helper. His brother, Aaron, comes, and now they're not just brothers. They're partners in ministry. Praise God for that. And Aaron does what Moses thinks that he can't. But the entire time, God continues to use Moses in ways that he never thought he could. Okay? I hope you find hope there. I hope that you find some freedom there. I really hope you find some encouragement because where God has you is exactly where he wants you, no matter what stage of life that you're in. Some of you are father-in-laws, and I hope you're challenged by this. Some of you are daughters. I hope you're challenged by this. Some of you are wives or husbands or kids or whatever. All of you are kids to someone. Just, I'm not that silly, right? But this is an important passage for the idea and the context of family. So here's what I want to do. I want to go back into Moses's, the, the names of Moses' sons, okay? Because I think there's a lot of weight here, all right? And then I'm going to let you, let you in on, on, on our family a little bit, okay? Uh, which only one of my kids is in here, which is probably a good thing, okay? So this is uh, chap, uh, verse 3. It says, along with her two sons, the name of the one was Gershom, okay? And then Moses, okay, Moses is the one who wrote Exodus. These are his words, okay, divinely inspired by God right? Moved by the Holy Spirit. But Moses is the author of Exodus, okay? Uh, and he writes out the names, the meaning of the names, okay? Gershom means this, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. So here's what that looks like. Every night when they sit down at the dinner table, because this is what you do, right, as family, and he goes, Gershom, oh, I was a foreigner, a sojourner in a foreign land. How was your day? right? Every time he would say Gershom's name, he was reminded of where he has been, okay? How many of you need to remember where God, where you've been in your life and where God has brought you to? And then Eliezer, his name means the God of my father was my help. And he what? He delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So every night, Every time he sees his kids or he calls his name, he, they're reminded, Moses is reminded, not only of what God's done, but what he has continued to do. And ultimately, what he's going to do. Does Moses go to the promised land? Is God faithful to his promise? Yes. Moses does not, for the record, if, you're not, if you haven't been around. We've, we've spoiled that alert a lot. Moses does not go to the promised land. And yet God continues to use him in mighty, majestic ways. So names matter. Gershom means foreigner. Eliezer, God is my help. So our three kids, Brayden, Mary London, and Berkeley, I looked this up. I did use Google for this, just full disclosure, okay? Brayden's name means Broad Valley. We were really moved one time by a broad valley that we came upon while we were riding horses. <laughs> and we named him Brayden, okay? Mary London's, I'm going to do hers last, okay? If you know Mary London, this is, hers is amazing. I, I wish we had looked this up, okay? If you don't know Mary London, get to know her, okay? You'll want to know her. Berkeley, who's our two-year-old, okay? Her name means a birch tree meadow. 
So every time when we sit down at the dinner table, I'm like, man, a broad valley and a birch tree meadows. Man, the Lord is good, right? We should have thought a little deeper before we named our kids. Okay, so Mary London's. Her name is not, you can't look it up, right? There's, there's, I don't know another Mary. I actually do know another Mary London. But, so I looked up Mary. Does any, has anyone ever looked up Mary before? Okay, Mary means this, beloved. Yeah, that's a good name. Strong, powerful. You know what the next meaning means? Rebelliousness. <laughs> Rebelliousness. Beloved, yet rebellious, right? Names matter. Moses and Zipporah know this. And so they sit down and they name their kids as reminders of who God is, what he's about, what he's doing. So every time they look at them, they're reminded of the promises of God. They're reminded of how he's delivered them. This is powerful stuff. So our testimony of God's power, of his wisdom and goodness, it serves our family in just the same way. Our family, right? The branch family, the big C Christian church. Through us, people come to know that the Lord is God and the Lord alone. That's what we do here. Right, so if you're new to the branch, there's a lot of new faces today, okay? At least it seems like there's a lot of new faces. What we do here every week, week after week after week after week after week, is we come and we sing praises to God because he's done a work of taking dead people and he's made them living people. That's the gospel. And then we dig into God's word because we need to be reminded of what he's done and we need to be reminded of what he's promised to do, which is one day to make all things new. Okay, so no matter what baggage you carried into the room this morning, you don't have to carry it alone. That's what families do. I'll take some of yours, you take some of mine, and like I said last week, we're not going to take it to the foot of the cross, we're going to take it to an empty grave, and then we're going to roll the stone over the daggum thing. I say daggum sometimes too, I apologize. It just comes out. It's the, it's the power of the Spirit. Okay? So through us, people come to know that the Lord is God. I really need to ask, I need to get better. I do. But through us, they come to hear of the supreme instance of God's power, of his wisdom, and his goodness, which is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Right? We've said this a million times throughout this series in Exodus, but the people of Exodus were saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, just like you and I are saved. Right? Theirs was a future-leaning faith, a future-leaning hope, as is ours. Our hope is that one day Christ will return and make all things new. This is what Revelation continues to say repeatedly, is that one day he's going to come back and he's going to make all things new and every tear will be wiped away. I don't know how, how often you cry or what sparks your tears, but whatever it is, one day those tears will be wiped away, not by a hanky or somebody else's dirty t-shirt, but by the son of the living God. And praise God for that. Okay, let's keep moving. Uh, Exodus 18, verse 8, okay? It says this, Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way. Just don't forget that, okay? All the hardship that had come their way, come upon them, and how the Lord had delivered them. Verse 9, And Jethro rejoiced. For all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 10. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians. 
and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. If you like to write in your, even if you don't like to write in your Bible, maybe just put a little underline under that, okay? That I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. Verse 12, Jethro, Moses's, okay, we're losing steam, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Okay, so these, these verses are about what? Evangelism. It's a, it's a hard word, okay? It's about being a gospel witness. And what I want to do is I want to redefine evangelism a little bit, if you're okay with that. I don't know what you heard when you heard the word evangelism. Sometimes what I hear when I hear the word evangelism is cynicism, okay? It goes like this. Oh, hi. Um, I'm from the Branch Church. Uh, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? That's not evangelism. Hear me. I'm being silly, but hear me. That is not evangelism. This is not what we see in Jethro. We don't see this in Jesus. Okay? What we see is life together leads to renewal. Okay? Because this is easy. I mean, it's hard. But once you, once you kind of gain some, like, a leather neck or whatever, you're, you can knock on anybody's door. It takes no courage to do that. It takes courage to get in the trenches with somebody in the pit of life, okay? It takes courage to say, you know what? Here's my sin. It's right here. These are the things that I struggle with, and I was dead in my sin, and this is how God has saved me. It takes time to build that relationship, and it takes courage to tell that story. That's evangelism, and that's what Moses is doing with Jethro, okay? Do you see the difference between the two? Hello. Are you okay? All right. So let's, let's, go back. let's go back. Verse 11 says this, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. He knows this because Moses did what? He told him. Did Moses love Jethro? I think he did. I think he did. I think he deeply did. Did Jethro love Moses? Absolutely he did. Okay? And through that, Moses is telling the story of God. The Spirit moves and Jethro worships. You see this, okay? He sings praises. Eventually, he leads them to their first sacrifice, okay? Uh, if you go back in, in Exodus, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go that they may worship, okay? And then Moses says to Pharaoh that they need, we need to take all of our herd because we don't know what God has for us and we might need to sacrifice, Here's the sacrifice. This is the first one. There are more to come. There's a lot more to come, but here's the first one. So here's what I think we need to know, okay? I'm, I'm going to take you to 1 Corinthians, okay, for just a minute. You don't have to go there. Just listen for a minute, okay? Sometimes what turns people away from Christ is not the gospel, but our failure to live by it. I mean that. Sometimes our neighbors resent the church because of how the church behaves. Some people will never come, not to church, they'll never come to the throne of God because of the way that we live our lives as Christians. We can be arrogant, we can be egotistical, we can be mean, okay? Because what? 
We're sinners. Now we're saved by grace. We're free from the consequence of sin. What we need to do is now let our lives be transformed by the gospel. And that's what we're committed to doing here. But this is what it says. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians. It says, love is what? Do you know this? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Amen. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. That's what love is. That's the relationship between Moses and Jethro because of the relationship between Moses and Yahweh. Love always protects. Love always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And then what does it say? I know you know this. Love never, come on, it never fails. It didn't fail on the cross. It didn't fail in the tomb. And it won't fail in your life. I promise you that. Okay? We need to reclaim how we talk about the story of the gospel to our neighbors and the people in our lives. Jethro is transformed. He becomes a follower now, right? And what we're going to see next week, I love next week. This is not like, this is not our way to get you back. Next week is going to be fire, okay? Because what we get next week is a lot of really practical principles, all right? One of the things that we really struggle with here, and I don't want to say we, but churches who preach exegetically is like, how do we apply this to our life? Because we're, we're, we forget that the gospel is the only application to our life, but we want to, well, what can I do, right? What can I do? How can I be better? How can I live my life differently? Next week, we get a lot of those principles, okay? Bring a notebook and a pen, all right? Uh, I was talking to Dakota earlier, because you got any slides this week? Nah, bro. Saving them all for next week, okay? So just know that. It's not just about leadership. It's about Christ-likeness, all right? And what we see as Jethro leads Moses, starting in verse 13, is Jethro's job is that of a disciple-maker, okay? God uses Moses to transform Jethro, and then God uses Jethro to transform Moses. There's no place for ego in the kingdom of God. So Jethro, who's a Midianite priest, hears all that God's done in Moses and for Israel, and he responds by worship. All right, verse 12 says this. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron, Moses' brother, came with all the elders of Israel to do what? Eat. To eat. Right? The, the complaints of the Israelites over the last few chapters has been what? Nothing to eat and ain't no water. And yet God continues to provide. And here, okay, you guys know that Jethro wasn't an Israelite. He was a what? So this is an outsider becoming an insider. And what do they do? They feast. And for the first time, Israel, through its elders, through its leaders, they're satisfied. And they slow down and they eat with Jethro. I love this because it's not just any sort of meal. It's a meal that is before the presence of God. It's communion, y'all. When Jesus said, take this bread 
for it is my body broken for you. This is the same type of meal. It's a meal that points to the presence of God because they're in the presence of God. The Bible tells us over and over again that wherever two or more have gathered, there is the Spirit of God. Okay? So just to keep that into perspective, is the Spirit with us today? Yes, He is, and praise God for that. In your family groups, yes, He is, and pray God, praise God for that. So we need to take seriously the work that we have when we come together, right? We give thanks. We are going to take communion here in just a few minutes as a way to slow down, to rest in the fact that God is enough. He is good enough. He is kind enough. All the things that we just read from 1 Corinthians 13, he is the embodiment of those things. I am not. There are days that sometimes I get angry when I shouldn't. There are days when sometimes I'm selfish and I shouldn't be. There are days when I envy or when I boast or when I, you fill in the blank with whatever your thing is. But there are days where I'm not living out 1 Corinthians 13. And yet my rest is in the fact that Christ did and he does without ceasing. That is the hope that we have in Christ and in Christ alone, no matter what the world says. We've, we've done this over the last few years, but this, is, this week is one of the weeks, depending on where you are and what stage of life you're in, that you can get really anxious because, oh my gosh, are they going to put in the office? Right? It doesn't matter. It does not matter. Our job remains the same. No matter who gets elected, this is a soapbox, I apologize, it's not in my notes, okay? It doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter. But in the grand scheme of things, God is going to do exactly what he intends to do every single time, no matter who gets what label. I'll be thankful when the commercials are over. Oh my gosh. I'm so discouraged right now. In fact, I'm just gonna, we're going to be done. Communion's back there at the table, all right? 28 minutes. You've got to pay me double. My goodness. That's the most heat I've ever gotten on a Sunday morning, and I've been begging for it. Father, I pray that you forgive them for they know not what they've done. Okay. <laughs> all right. I want to I take us forward, right? Because we, we say this a lot. We can't understand Exodus theologically until it's pointed us to Jesus, okay? So that's where we're going, and then we're going to take communion for real, and maybe you guys will get jazzed about that too. John chapter 17, verse 3 says this, this is eternal life, that they know you. This is evangelism. This is what we're doing when we're sharing the gospel. Have you ever been scared to share the gospel? Yeah, I know you have, because you're human, okay? This is eternal life. This is what we're doing that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's our job. Here's the way this looks. I'm sitting with a friend. I have a lot of non-believing friends. There was a time in my life where I had none. Praise God for that. Used to scare me, doesn't anymore. Because evangelism looks like life together, not 99 questions. Okay? Here's the way this looks. Hey, man, here's where I've been. Here's all the shame. Here's all the sin. Here's all the garbage, right, of my life. 
And up until a certain point, I was pretending to be a Christian. I was the guy that you despise. I would show up on Sunday. We would do Wednesday. Youth camp was fire, right? And then I'd go back to school and I'd be the same person. <laughs> we are recording this, okay? But here's the way that looks. It's, it's me saying, listen, that's by nature who I was. And through the gospel, I'm, I'm dead to that. Now, there are days I still choose that because I'm a human, still in need of saving. Okay, so what does this look like? Justification is what Christ did for us on the cross in an empty tomb. You have been saved. If you're in Christ, okay, if you're a Christian in the room, you have been saved. Sanctification is you're being saved. So for, for Jethro, this is what's happening with Moses. Jethro is being saved. And eventually, we will finally and forever be saved when Christ returns. Sanctification, we say this a lot, is the painful process of looking more like Jesus. And so when a, a good presentation of the gospel is talking about the pain. It's not hiding from it. Right? If you grew up in a church like I grew up in, my parents aren't here today, but they're members, okay? So that's where we stand. But they're not here today. So I'll tell this story. Don't tell them. The church that I grew up in, it was you put on your fanciest, nicest outfit every Sunday because you needed to pretend like you had your junk together. Any of you? Any, am I alone? No. A handful of us. Okay? That's not who the church is. The church isn't the place where we come and we put on our best dress and we do our thing and we strut around like we're perfect. That's what the world hates. That's why the world's rejecting the church right now. It's because we're, like, we're better than everybody else. We're not better than everyone. I was dead too. The church is a place where broken people find healing. And if we forget that, we haven't been healed. We're still wading the waters of brokenness. The church is where dead people become living people. The church is where people with no hope find hope. But the church is also the place where the people who found hope share that hope. The church isn't for you. It's for the glory of God and the glory of God alone. Now, thankfully, we get to participate in it because he's a good and loving father who invites his children to play in the story. But the story's not about us. Don't be fooled. The cross wasn't about you. The empty tomb wasn't about you. Not primarily. It was about the glory of God. And the grace of God is that the cross of Christ and the empty tomb of Christ is no longer our death, it's his. We get life in his death. And all of the stuff of our life, all the sin, all the baggage, it's put in the tomb, and one day he's going to roll that stone over, and there will be wholeness. I long for the day where we are standing face to face with God. Moses is going to be there. And so is Jethro, an outsider. I'm an outsider. Most of you in the room are not Jewish, I think. And yet we've been invited to have a seat at the table because we serve a good and loving God who gave everything, everything, so that we could sit at the table 
and share a meal in the presence of God. So as we move into a time of communion, I, I hope that we'll remember that. That evangelism leads first to worship and then to fellowship, not the other way around. That we're called to bear witness to God's saving power. That's what we're doing when we talk about our life with Christ. Talk about it. Share your story. We have a story to tell. We should tell it well and we should tell it often. I hope you're encouraged by that. And our, our job as the branch church is to come alongside you and help you tell that story. So our elders and some of our leaders are going to be over here near the book note, which is it's that direction, okay? Uh, if you want to pray or if you want to talk about some of this, we've got space for you to do that, okay? Just come over here. If you're a Christian, we invite you to participate in communion because this is where we remember all that God has done. Gershom, Eliezer. We have been brought out, and now we've been brought in. This is what we're doing. So would you go to the table now and remember that God has brought you out of something. He's brought you out of death. He's brought you out of sin and brought you into presence with himself. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for humidity. We thank you for all the things that you are in control of. But most of all, we thank you that you sent your son, not because we deserved it, but because you loved us anyways, that we might be brought back into right relationship with you. I'm thankful that you've delivered your people out of the hands of Pharaoh, that you've delivered them out of Egypt, you've brought them now to the base of Mount Sinai as you prepare them to receive the law. We find rest and encouragement that Christ has come not to abolish the law that you've put in place, but to fulfill it on our behalf. So we pray now that the same salvation that rocked Jethro's world would rock the world of our community. Would you help us to be bearers of good news in a world that longs for and is desperate to hear it? Help us to love the way that Paul talks in 1 Corinthians not in a cheesy way, but in a way that deeply cares for one another. Help us as a church uh, to love with the same sort of care. And now I pray that as we take this feast in your presence, that we can rest in the fact that every tribe, every nation, and every tongue has a place at your table. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.